Well, praise the Lord. I love the word. I love the scripture, and I love to hear it sung. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. This morning, I want us to consider the matter of the moment of truth, which is the high moment in the life of any person. The high moment for Isaiah and for any man was when he saw the Lord. Every heart needs that moment, that moment of clear vision, when that which is hidden comes to light, when truth in a new way beams into the heart and the darkness is scattered and the individual comes to understand what he is and what he needs and what God can do in his life. When we have had a moment of truth, then we will be able to say with Isaiah, in that day I saw the Lord. For Isaiah, as it is for many people, the moment of truth came in an hour of sorrow. For his kinsman and his friend, King Uzziah, had died. And in the time when his heart was heavy, when his mind was confused, he felt utterly shaken as though nothing in the world was certain in that hour. He went to seek the wisdom and the counsel and the comfort of the Lord. This morning I want us to examine briefly this chapter, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, and just see what the moment of truth meant for Isaiah. And I believe it is fair and reasonable to say that our own moment of truth, every individual should involve the same elements as, I, as Isaiah's did. Notice first of all in verses 1 to 4, Isaiah in his moment of truth got his eyes on something big. He got his eyes on something big. He saw the Lord high and exalted, lifted up, and his glory filled the temple and the angels, the heavenly creatures, surrounded him with praise and honor. In the Bible, all of the words for salvation carry with them a sense of bigness, a sense of largeness, the word salvation carries with it the concept of bringing into unity that which had been broken into fragments. A sense of wholeness, of restoration. And we may say that salvation is making whole that which has been split into fragments. You know, most of us have a terrifying tendency to live our lives in fragments. We live one way here and another there and we isolate God in the family and our social life and our business life and our life is lived in fragments. We have a tendency to lose ourselves in littleness. More often than not, we find ourselves dominated by little things. We make our way among small anxieties. We are dominated by small ideas and small concerns. We become wrapped up in them to the point that often we are prisoners of the unimportant. You know, families, individuals, and churches, all alike, are very seldom brought down by big things. When life caves in on us individually, God comes and touches us in a fresh way and we pull through it. 
Families and churches tend to pull together and pull through big things. But when we become prisoners of the unimportant and make our way among little things and get lost in littleness, the little things tend to bring us down. How long since you thought about eternity, about immortality, about the eternal value of a soul and the mission of the church? we often lose sight of the ultimate by focusing on the immediate. And it is always a mistake. In the book of Proverbs, the writer said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And it is always wrong to take our attention away from the bigness of God, from the magnitude of all that He is and all that He does and allow ourselves to be dominated by little and unimportant things. I believe it is a characteristic of the moment of truth as it was for Isaiah that when we get our eyes on God, we will have gotten our eyes on something big. To see the Lord as He is is to have an awareness that everything else in the world pales in unimportance when compared to Him as we grasp His majesty. And so in His moment of truth, Isaiah got his eyes on something big. But then in his moment of truth, Isaiah got his eyes on something certain. His world was shaken. He came to God in the moment of grief, in the time of his sorrow and uncertainty. And then it was that he said, I saw the Lord. And in a chaotic and uncertain world, we need something certain to hold on to. The economy is not stable. International relationships are shaky. Things that cause fear and concern are on the mind of everybody and in a world of uncertainty where change is the order of things, where it seems as though in society at large there are no moorings, nothing to hold on to, nothing to tie fast to in that kind of a world. We, as Isaiah did, need something certain. It is easy to get lost in this world, fooled by its deceptions. Things are foggy and unsure. We can feel as though we are lost in a veritable whirlpool of change. Years ago, after the great San Francisco earthquake, one of the survivors telling somebody the story as it was reprinted into the newspaper said that the real panic, the just hysterical panic came when he felt as though the world itself and nothing in it was certain or solid. And it felt as though the very world were falling apart. To make our way in such a time as this, we need a moment of truth to steady our hearts and to fix our minds on things that cannot be swept away. You know, the devil wants us to consider everything backwards from what it really is. And the devil is always saying to us in a thousand ways, live in the real world. This spiritual stuff is all right, but be pragmatic. Be realistic. Live in the real world. The Word of God teaches that the real world is the world in which God exists and abides. This 
world is the world of unreality. This world is the world of temporary things that are passing away. This world is a very poor react reflection of reality. This world is that which is not real. And there is nothing more pragmatic. There is nothing more realistic. There is nothing more reasonable than to base your life and build it on the supposition that the Lord is in control. That is reality. And Isaiah, when he got his mind fixed on something certain, when he saw in his eyes that which could not be swept away, he was not basing it on what we in humanity would call reality, but on a vision of the reality of God. And so when you are tempted to determine the course of your life according to so-called pragmatic considerations, Bear in mind that if you leave God out of the formula, it is not pragmatic. It is not realistic. The scriptures say a man plans his life, but the Lord directs his path. Isaiah, in his moment of truth, got his eyes on something certain, and that kind of certainty, once it is established, cannot be taken away from you. In Acts chapter 27, we read as... Paul was on his way to Rome there to stand before Caesar. The ship on which he was traveling became caught in a storm and it became obvious to all of them that the ship was going to sink. There was no question about it. They had thrown all of the cargo overboard. They had struggled to reach the land but they could make no headway and they were preparing to sink. And Paul stood up on the deck of a sinking ship and he said, cheer up. I don't know about you, but about that time, I might have thrown him overboard. He stood on the deck of a ship which was breaking into pieces, about to sink into the ocean, and he said, Cheer up, for I believe God, and I am certain that everything will happen just as I have been told. God had promised Paul that he would stand before Caesar. God had promised Paul that for his sake, all of the people on the ship would be saved, and they were. But if he had been reasonable and realistic, it never would have happened. There's one thing that I want to know as I look to the future, and as we as a church look to the future, one thing I want to know, and that is all, what does God want us to do? That's all we need to know. That is all that is important. There are no other major considerations. For he is the only certainty in the entire world. And the only sane and reasonable thing for God's people to do is to base everything that they do on the certainties of God. Isaiah got his eyes on something big. He got his eyes on something certain. He got his eyes on something searching. Notice in verse 5, the vision of God searched his heart and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It is a mistake for anybody to think that the moment of truth is going to be a purely happy experience. It is a fearful thing. It is a thing full of awe 
to stand bare before God. Isaiah said, I saw him, but then in one painful, searching moment, because he had seen the Lord, Isaiah saw himself. Isaiah saw his world, and with his head bowed in shame, he said, Woe is me! He did not leap to his feet in the joy of some kind of a fresh discovery. He saw his shame. He saw his sin in the light of God's presence. And what he saw about himself broke his heart. This moment of truth is a searching moment. It can be bitter, for it is hard to face the truth about ourselves. It is hard to say to God in sincerity, I have sinned. I am sorry. And I believe that often we give a dead giveaway about our spiritual condition because I do not believe that it is possible for a Christian that has an awareness of what he or she is on the inside it is not possible for that Christian who has a full awareness of their own sinfulness to be critical and bitter and negative toward other Christians. For when we do so, we are saying to God, Lord, I thank you that I'm superior to these others. That was the prayer of the Pharisee that Jesus rejected when he told the story. It is a bitter and painful thing to see ourselves as we are and when we understand what we are, we cannot lightly turn bitterness and criticism on other people for whom Christ has died. Many have had a counterfeit religious experience, have never come to the searching moment when guilt and sin is faced. This moment of truth is not first happiness, it can be shattering. The publican in the story which Jesus told knelt before God in anguish and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. At the moment of truth, as the Spirit of God searches our hearts, we discover that we are not the nice, superior people that we have supposed ourselves to be but rather we see ourselves as we are, poor, frail, sinful, helpless, undone creatures. We see ourselves as we are in desperate need of God's forgiveness, in desperate need of God's grace. And we have an awareness as the prophet Jeremiah shared, the heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? At the moment of truth, Isaiah got his eyes on something searching. But then notice in verse 8, at the moment of truth, Isaiah got his eyes on something controlling. Now remember who the man was. Isaiah was a prophet, a very honored position in society. We know from the genealogies and the other things stated in the Scriptures that Isaiah was a member of the royal family. Isaiah was a prophet to the palace. He was a member of the king's cabinet of advisors 
and yet there was something missing in his life. And he came to realize at the moment of truth that he had not given himself into the hands of God in such a way as to let God control his life. Something was missing. And in that moment of truth, Isaiah, not knowing where God would send him, not knowing what God would have him do, said in commitment, here am I, send me. He did not screen the will of God. He did not ask God for advanced knowledge of his will so that he could consider whether or not to do it. He did not wonder if God would make him do something he didn't want to do. He didn't ask God what it would involve if he gave him his life. He just said, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send me. That moment of truth was a controlling moment as he got his eyes on the fact that God wants to run our lives and be in control of them. That day, God became his Lord and his master, and it changed the entire course of his life and ministry. We, too, must make him Lord of all in our lives, realizing that the Scriptures say God is jealous of control and will not relinquish or share control of our lives with any of us. Often we fancy that we strike a bargain with the Lord. We say, now, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do that, and things happen that way, and we spend the rest of our lives trying to live up to a bargain. Listen, God did not bargain with you. God didn't strike an agreement with you. God, in spite of your poor understanding of how much he loves you, just went ahead and blessed you anyway. If the Scriptures teach anything about God, the Scriptures teach that it's going to be God's way or not at all. We think God needs our help. We say now, Lord, in essence, we say now, Lord, you relax. I've gotten my life straightened out now. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and go to work, and I'm going to make sure that everything goes just the way it ought to go. Folks, the Lord doesn't need any of us. What the Scriptures teach, if they teach anything, is that when it comes to the matter of a relationship day by day with the Lord, it's either going to be His way or not at all. There are no bargains struck. When God seems to honor our paltry efforts at a bargain, we try to buy Him off. Oh, Lord, now you do this and I'll do that. When, when God seems to honor those things, it's just because he loves us so much that he's going to take care of us whether we understand him or not. Isaiah got his eyes on something controlling, and so must we. I want you to notice that this moment of truth for Isaiah came in the temple. And that is tremendously important. It does not have to be in the church, in the place of worship. It can happen anywhere, for the whole world is the Lord's temple. But God has ordained worship. God has appointed us to worship. God has commanded us to worship. And it is mostly when an individual is in the sacred spot, exposing his mind and heart to that which is sacred and holy and true, that he finds God, or rather that he is found by God. How much we need the church. How much we need each other, we who compose the church. How important it is that we who dream dreams for the church. 
dream dreams that are based on the greatness of God and dream the right dreams for her so that we may have here in this place a temple where people like Isaiah in the moment of need may come and find God in a moment of truth. I would remind you that we cannot have the right desires. We cannot dream the right dreams for our lives or for our church until we, like Isaiah, in a moment of truth, Laying aside all of our accomplishments, Isaiah was a great man, but it wasn't enough. Isaiah was effective in service to God as he understood it, but it wasn't enough. He had to lay all of that aside and get his eyes on something big, something certain, something searching, and something controlling. Today can be that moment of truth. The Lord is here the altar is nearby. The angel waits to touch your lips with the tongs and pronounce you clean as you bow before God. Whatever your need, today is the moment when God would have you respond to him. You may need to be saved today. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't given your life to Christ and asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to save you, nothing we've said today applies to you. For it is only through a personal giving of our lives into the hands of Jesus that anybody is saved. You may be here seeking God's will for your life in the matter of church membership. We want you if God wants you here. We invite you to invest your life in this place and help us to make it what God wants it to be. You may be here as a Christian needing simply to kneel as Isaiah did before the Lord and you would come publicly in a commitment of life, praying to him, acknowledging him as the Lord, sharing as he would lead you publicly a commitment of life. I don't know your need, but I know the answer. I know that there is only one thing to do when life begins to tumble in around our shoulders and everything we hold dear seems to be crumbling away beneath us and that is to reach out to Jesus and to let him have his way in our lives. In a moment, I'm going to invite you publicly. Jesus, whenever he called anybody to do anything, he called them publicly going to invite you publicly to step to the aisle, to walk this aisle and take my hand or come to kneel and pray as God would lead you, realizing that when God reveals his will to us, it is not that we may consider it, but that we may respond to it. Whatever God would have you do, today is the day to do it. This can be the moment of truth. After we have prayed and as we stand to sing, what God would have you do, you will do it today. Do it quickly. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love us so much, that your patience is so inexhaustible that you continue to love us, you continue to reach out to us, you continue to forgive and to cleanse. Lord, we'll never be fully aware of what we are. But we have the ability to understand as we look at you that we are undone and unclean and unworthy. I pray with David 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Draw from us life-changing commitment. May many be saved today. May many find your will for their lives. May we each one be open and responsive so that we truly may have worshipped and our needs may truly be met. I thank you for what you will do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to sing just as I am right now and quickly as we stand. Who will be first to do what God wants you to do today? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou understand and consider every time we worship that whether by habit, whether here at all times or not, every time we worship is an appointment with the Lord. And it doesn't matter what the music is, what the message is. All that matters is that as you as a Christian worship, you open your heart to the presence of the Lord. He will touch you where the need is regardless of the message, regardless of the music. He has designed worship so that our needs are met as we open ourselves in love to Him and as we respond to what He says to us. No force in the world can keep you from real, life-changing, meaningful worship if you're responsive to the Holy Spirit. God, when He touches us, it is for the purpose that we may obey. So today, because God has seen fit to extend this opportunity to every one of us, before you take God's authority, and you have that in your hand, before you take God's authority and close the invitation on someone whose need may be much greater than yours, please be sure that you have done what God wants you to do. If it involves a public commitment, do it right now. In any case, searching our own hearts, responding to him. Make the song a prayer, just as I am. That's the way Isaiah came. Make it a prayer, and what God would have you do, do it right now. Who will be next? 